This episode is brought to you by 511 Tactical, a company that I've used for over a decade since they supplied the uniforms for Anaheim Fire when I worked out in California. And they have partnered with the Behind the Shield podcast to offer you, the listener, 15% off not just a single purchase, but an ongoing discount every time you shop at 511tactical.com. And I will give you the discount code in a moment. I just want to go on a kind of product focus for a second. In episode 125 of Behind the Shield podcast, I spoke to podiatrist Dr. Mike Donato, um, and we discussed a concern that I've had, which is the footwear uh, for first responders. If you're a firefighter, obviously, if we're doing an extrication, if we're fighting fire, our bunker boots are definitely the best things. They offer a high level of protection. But the day-to-day calls, the EMS calls, all those kind of areas, they are absolutely overkill, some of the boots that we are being given. And I wanted to find a kind of happy medium between protection and comfort as a lot of these heavy, heavy boots are causing uh, overuse injuries, knee pain, ankle pain, back pain. And 5.11 Tactical has come up with a shoe called the Norris Sneaker. Now, this has the feel literally of, of a skate shoe. It's incredibly comfortable. It has puncture protection on the bottom. It has the toe protection on the front, but they've taken a lot of the weight away and made it far more comfortable. I think many of us will admit that as an alternative to duty boots, we turn to sneakers, which are also very comfortable, really don't offer any protection. So this is a great happy medium between the two. If you want to see this, as I said, it's called the Norris, N-O-R-R-I-S, sneaker. Go to 511 Tactical, and that discount code that I was talking about is SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5. That will be applicable for all of your purchases. The only time that's not going to work is when they have an additional sale that's actually going to be higher. So if they're offering a 20% or 25% off, obviously that 15 is going to be invalid because you're going to get even more off. So for the Norris sneaker and all the other things that I'm going to showcase that I personally use, I'm not going to start talking about things that I don't use, but the products of theirs that I think they're amazing, um, go to 511 Tactical, put in Shield 15, and save 15% every single time. Welcome, guys, to episode 338 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week I'm extremely excited to welcome on the show Francisco Morales. Now, Francisco is one of the co-founders of 511 Tactical. He is now the CEO of the company. And as many of you are aware, this is a company that I pursued myself to bring on as a sponsor for the show, not only seeing what they've done for our community in the last 15 years, but also seeing other guests that I've had like Tim Kennedy and Byron Rogers and Ryan Starling advocate for them as well. So an incredible conversation. He is also an immigrant like myself, starting in Venezuela as the son of a tailor. So he's been in clothing ever since he was a child. A fascinating story that paints the picture of where they are today. So before we get to that interview, as I always say, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating makes us more and more visible to other people looking for a podcast like this. And then this is a free library for you, the audience. So use it personally, use it within your business or your department. All I ask in return is that you share these incredible men and women's stories so that we can get them to every single ear hole on planet Earth that needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Francisco Morales. Enjoy. Francisco, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Behind the Shield podcast. James, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Very exciting. 
So where on planet Earth are we finding you today? So today I am in our development center in Irvine, California. Brilliant. I actually got to visit you guys there. Um, I want to say it's probably about a year ago now, and Eric and those guys. And um, I was most impressed by the fact that you had halogens for door handles on the building. <laughs> you know, we, we love when uh, people come visit. We actually have, you know, having uh, close proximity to John Wayne, Disneyland, and the whole, you know, Southern California area. We're very lucky because, you know, most of the crew, when they're, when they're in town, they swim by. And it's always great to see you know, uh, people from the ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. And then even the uh, the store that you have there, and I want to get to that kind of brick and mortar element of the of the uh, the business. But yeah, I mean, it's it's such a great place and kind of like a playground for <laughs> first responders and military when you walk around there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, we always take advantage when when you guys come to visit to show you, you know, what's in the kitchen, uh, pick up your brain, and, and get new ideas and feedback on on the products that you know, sometimes are two years uh, in the making. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And I want to get to all that stuff down the line. Um, just like myself, I can tell from your accent that you're not originally from Irvine, California. So my first question is, where were you born? And then also, what was your family dynamic? What did your parents do and how many siblings? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I was born uh, in Caracas, Venezuela. My, my dad uh, was a, a Spanish immigrant from the Canary Islands. And my mother uh, was a Venezuelan and, and we all, uh, my dad was a Spanish tailor. And we all grew up uh, working in the rags business. My, my dad, you know, set up his own little factory after uh, working uh, hard for many years uh, in in Venezuela, and we kind of all worked there uh, growing up. Uh, I have a younger brother uh, myself, and then um, in 2000, actually not 2000, 1993, I, I came to the U.S. and then ended up going to uh, textile school. Right. So, so you grew up around around clothes and about making clothes. Yeah, that was uh, you know we were we were we were trained to be able to uh, run the family business, which you know. We started by cleaning the factory and then worked our way to uh, higher skilled labor uh, jobs and, and then eventually, you know, kind of how to uh, design products, engineer products, and eventually, you know, working our way through, through the production floor. So, yeah, it was a great experience and, and where I think I've, I found my my passion for for making uh, products yeah absolutely now what about from the sports side obviously you're working with a lot of professions now where you know strength and conditioning is very important were you an athlete when you were younger you know i i grew up uh you know doing the the typical the typical sports uh that everybody does and 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 then you know as a teenager enjoy uh, lifting weights but honestly when i when i moved to the u.s uh you know i i kind of stop working now and then when we started 511 I I just worked and worked and worked to the point that you know I found myself with like 80 more pounds than what I have right now in my frame and um, eventually I said okay I gotta I gotta stop that and I started you know changing my dietary habits uh, pretty much just eliminated all sugars and simple carbs and started working out and today you know I enjoy you know ultra marathoning and lifting weights and just trying to keep up uh with uh, the rest of the crew brilliant now when you were younger and you're obviously being groomed in the the tailor industry 
Um, was that your career aspiration? Was that something that you were hoping to do? Or were there other kind of dreams that you had tucked away as well? You know, it, it was interesting. That was really, um, really uh, fixated that we just had to do our best. And, and he always said, you know, if you want to be the guy that cleans the street, that's a great, honorable job. But don't be just the guy that is just grooming around and looking at the sky, waiting for it to be, you know, five o'clock. You know, be great. Just just be the best at doing that job. So whatever you want to do, uh, be that. I I did not know, you know, at the beginning, I, it wasn't my, my favorite thing to go uh, and be working where, while my friends were, you know, playing around. But then later on in life, I, you know, I started working full time when I was 15 because uh, I didn't want to go to school. And I really found a passion for for making products and, and, and the whole clothing uh, industry. Brilliant. Now, I know it was education that brought you to the States. So so what was that program? And then and then what kept you here after you came over? Yeah, you know, in, in Venezuela, uh, you know, I, I really struggled uh, during school. I, it, it just, I, I didn't like it. Uh, it didn't work for me. Uh, you know, I relate to a lot of my friends that have teenagers and, and they're really struggling uh, to make it work. Uh, it just didn't click. I, I, I honestly, uh, was a really tough time. Um, so I, when I was 15, I went and, and quit and just went to work and did what you guys call here a, G, a GED. I went in the evenings and, and, and finished school. Uh, I came to the U.S. just to learn English because I, you know, after when I was 19 with the hope, you know, to go back and continue to work and, and just have a skill. But when I came here, I, I learned that you could study textiles. So I went to a place that is called today Jefferson uh, University. At the time, it was called Philadelphia College of Textiles and Science. And really, you know, I went from being this kid that could not, uh, you know, stay on, on track in, in Catholic school and, and graduated first in my class, cum laude, you know, because, uh, you know, first, you know, it was something that I was passionate about it, but two, uh, the way of learning, you know, they they work with me to teach me how I learn and how I absorb information so that I could work around, you know, my own capabilities. And, and uh, I was very thankful uh, and still very thankful for that, you know, that there was a, an institution that will take the time not only to, you know, push down the content, but really teach you how you learn and how you should study. Yeah, and that's that's a reoccurring theme I get with a lot of people that are, and myself included, they're like straight C students or even worse, and then they find that that profession, whatever it is, whether it's you know military, fire, police, EMS, or whether it's you know medicine or you know whatever, and then all of a sudden they realize they weren't a, a poor student; they just needed to to find that subject that they were truly, truly passionate about, and then they were able to excel. Correct. So what? Where was it? Philadelphia, the the college was actually based in. Yeah, it was it was Philadelphia, and you know at the time they still there were two main institutions. In, there's a lot of places where you can study fashion and how to build products, but really uh, to interact with textile machines and, and to make fabrics and to get really technical. At the time, uh, it was Philadelphia College and NC State that had. Uh, the best programs. I, I believe that continues to be the case for the most part. 
Um, and yeah, so I, I was in I was in Philadelphia and I was there, you know, for my undergrad. Um, and then, you know, a typical story, uh, I stayed for a girl. So it came time to to go back home. And I told my, my family, say, hey, you know, I think, uh, you know, I should stay one more year because um, to learn how American businesses work. And so I, I went to I went to work for uh, L.L. Bean out of Freeport, Maine. Uh, and my girlfriend at the time and I uh, moved to Maine, and she's my wife today. We actually uh, had uh, our 20th uh, year anniversary yesterday. Uh, we celebrated with a nice dinner um, here in, in SoCal. So, so yeah, you know, stay stay behind for a girl. Brilliant. Well, firstly, happy anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> and secondly, I, I stayed here for the same reason, so I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, but what I'm curious about is, um, what it was like coming from Venezuela to, you know, America in general, but especially a very urban setting like Philadelphia, was there any culture shock involved? You know, I, I, yeah, there was for sure. I, I first, uh, I first was in New Haven, Connecticut, uh, and, um, and of course, you know, coming from a city like Caracas, which is a really busy uh, it was difficult for me to sleep at night uh, because there was no noise. Uh, I, it, it was so quiet. It was so peaceful in the neighborhood that I was staying. So then I got used to that. And then I got used to not having traffic. And, and at the time, you know, Caracas was still not as dangerous as it is today, but it, it was a dangerous place. Uh, so I was quite shocked. Although, you know, there was crime in, 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 in New Haven, uh, how how much safer it was. It, it was just a joy, you know, to get out there, you know, thinking, you know, am I going to get shot today or robbed? Uh, you know, that those were things that you always had in the back of your head uh, in Venezuela when you when you went when you went out of your house. So yeah, it was it was all positive. Excellent, brilliant. All right, well then, so you're working for LL Bean. Walk me through to where you first found Five Eleven, and then if you're if you wouldn't mind, also give us the origin story of Five Eleven as well. Yeah, definitely. So you know, I I, I went out of college uh, with again the intention of uh, staying here for a year. Went to L.O. Bean, and I arrived at the right place at the right time. The company was going through a transformational period in its history, and I got to work with a group of people that were uh, leading that transformation. My my job was leading the raw material component of that. I was a raw materials engineer and then in a really short period of time ended up standing up a, a whole department driving R&D development from, from a materials perspective for the whole organization. So it was a great learning, learning experience. Uh, an opportunity came up to do something similar to that uh, with a company that, that was growing really fast at the time, which is the largest sporting goods retailer uh, in the U.S. today, it's called the Exporting Goods. Uh, I went there with another uh, fellow and mentor from uh, L.O. Bean to set up their private label division. Similar situation, uh, a lot of learning, a lot of hard work, got to innovate and come up with different brands and do many things. And then the opportunity came to join an entrepreneur named Dan Costa out of Modesto, California, to turn a company around called Royal Robbins. So I joined him as a minority partner. We started working on the Royal Robin side, uh, set up a business uh, in Asia with him to, to do global sourcing. And in that journey, 
you know, Royal Robbins had been a supplier to the FBI uh, for many years, supplying uh, tactical, what, what it was called the 511. Uh, so uh, Dan, uh, at the time, decided, hey, why don't we, uh, you know, help these guys with some other needs that they have? Uh, and we started innovating around some of the problem sets of the time. And, and they, they revolve around, you know, sending people to Iraq with, uh, you know, looking more like a photographer than, than somebody that, you know, is there to do other type of business. We started making products, made a vest, made a shirt, and that became like the base of the uh, 511 line. So think about uh, the FBI Academy uh, and the FBI NA, uh, which is the organization where uh, most of the graduates uh, belong to, really encouraging us uh, in 2000, in the early 2000s, to, to really set up a company uh, and innovate around the problem sets of first responders. So that's what we did in 2003. We created a company uh, using the namesake, namesake of the pants. So the 511 pants, we call the company 511 Inc. And the brand, you know, 511 Tactical. We started making, uh, again, products to solve the problem sets of first responders. You know, I used to think that Nobody was innovated at the time, but, you know, when I reflect on it today, I, I don't think that's accurate. I think people were innovating. They just were innovating only around cost. So the people that were we were competing at the time were more worried about, you know, who could make something for less versus what does the end user really need. So when we came... And we started working with end users and innovating uh, and taking the feedback and translating that feedback into product solutions. Uh, the company really took off. And, and, and to this day, you know, that is how we work. Um, we have amazing product engineers, but uh, most of them don't have a, an operational background. So they, they are out there, you know, not only talking, but interacting with end users and putting the gear to use so that we can bring those products that, you know, we all expect now to come out of 511. Yeah, well, that was one thing that, that struck me. When, when you guys were probably a year or two old, you came to my previous fire department, Anaheim, and some of my good friends were in the catalogs, they were models, and we used, you know, your jackets and your uniforms. And what they actually, um, another another one of my friends made a comment recently where it really kind of, uh, highlighted the, the the area that we hear all the time, which is false economy. So my friends from Anaheim said we still have the same you know job shirts and a couple other things, jackets that you guys gave them. You know, it was almost 15 years ago now, and they're still using them. And yet, one of my other friends from a different department had made the statement that they have a locker full of uniforms, but they're all faded and worn. So every two years, they replace them. And what I've heard over my career is that, again, this, this kind of, it's always the low bid, you know, always the, a government agency will, will pay for the cheapest stuff. But the false economy is, well, yeah, they pay for the cheapest stuff, but they had to buy five sets of uniform where they could have maybe bought two sets of uniform that were actually a much better quality that lasted longer and performed better. Um, so I saw this firsthand, you know, we're talking, like I said, 15 years now. So how were you able to, 
to enact that in a market where a lot of these government agencies just want the cheapest stuff? How are you able to to um, to show them that actual longer economy of a better made, longer lasting product like Five Eleven? Yeah, so that's that's a really good question. You know, when when I look at today and when I look at the past, I think what has remained con- constant is that our relationship, our working day to day has been with a frontline user, right? The, the person that is using the product because, you know, we cannot talk uh, with a, with administration about the product because they don't know, right? We have to talk to the people that are using the product. Uh, where you see uh, leadership and administration that really wants to, um, you know, keep their people happy, performing well, um where they have really good open channels of communication be- between the leadership and the people uh, doing the jobs. That's where 511 does well because immediately the end user will be like, hey, you know, this is what we need. This is the 511 data. This is-. And when, you know, the administration runs costs and, and they see the, uh, yeah, you know, our product on the surface, to your point, may, may look more expensive, but when you see, you know, how long they last, um, and also, you know, the difference, you know, you, you, I've done the math many times with different chiefs or fire or police and say, hey, chief, look, look at this. The difference is $10, so let's say, or call it $20 on this pair of pants. But let's divide that by 360 days out of the year or divide it by, you know, a longer period because they last longer. And you're really talking, you know, a few cents to keep uh, that person uh and, and your people with an operational advantage because, you know, they're proud, they're comfortable, and, and the gear works with them. So so that's where we do well today. That's where we have done well in the past, and I think that will continue uh, into the future. The departments that are looking for, uh, you know, just optimizing uh, cost, uh, you know, they, they, they will probably end up buying something else. Yeah, and I think that's something that I've seen with equipment and also with manpower. You know, we, we've got a very false economy mentality going on with the staffing at the moment. You know, we have police officers riding one to a car, which I think results in a lot of issues, you know, in certain calls where they, they get in trouble themselves or the person they're arresting. And then with these fire departments, you know, working long, long hours and these men and women are getting terminal illness and, you know, mental health issues and, and all that kind of thing rather than investing in the front end. So I think that this is a concept that we really need to kind of rein back in is not to look at that one budget year, but to really project over 10 years and see the true value in whether it's 511 or whether it's staffing. It's the same thing. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I feel for the administrators because they don't have it easy either. You know, they they, they face uh, budget cuts and they, you know, things get more expensive. So it's tough. It's, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. But but I guess if you want it easy, you will have not picked uh, a career in public safety. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, then, as far as the um, the kind of journey that 511 took, um, what are a couple of the stories that, that – um, pop to your mind when it comes to a frontline operator, whether it's military or law enforcement or fire, um, one of your products that their feedback really kind of shifted the trajectory of, of one of your new products? 
You know, I I I, th- I think one that changed the industry was in the in the early days. This is one of many, but uh, in the early days, uh, as as people started getting more comfortable uh, wearing polyester, quick drying materials, right? So think about you know in the seventies and eighties, polyester was really popular. That grew out of popularity, and and the the market went all into natural fibers, which are amazing, uh, but they do absorb moisture. And when it gets hot, you get steamy. So these, you know, new fabrics came out that were uh, performance-based, 100% polyester, wicking, quick drying, and they did well. The the issue, in particular, in the military and law enforcement, uh, was uh, they all snag in the presence of Velcro. So when you when you took your gear, your bags, uh, next thing you know, you got a $60 shirt. You barely touched your bulletproof vest, and it's snagged and it's ruined. So I was down in in Phoenix, uh, and a guy, a detective from Phoenix PD, uh, we were doing what we call a PDM, which is a product development meeting. He called me to the side and said, hey, you guys are, you guys got to figure something out. And these shirts uh, are great uh, to wear. They're very comfortable, but they snap. And, you know, uh, from a person like me that has been formally trained in textiles, uh, I say, yeah, you know, that the issue is the polyester is really strong and and in the essence of, in the presence of Velcro, it will not break. And when you pull it, it will snag the whole fabric. And it is what it is. There is no way around it. Uh, but you know what? We're, it's in our mission statement to be innovators. And we're going to try to take a crack at it. So think about a year and a half later and, and ruining a lot of fabric. Um, we actually came up with a very simple yet clever solution to solve that problem and since those days we were making we've been making performance polos that do not snag um and and that really you know opened up the gates for for these type of fabrics that are more comfortable and the popularity of performance polos uh, in the industry brilliant now i heard you on another podcast um i think it was the fieldcraft podcast talking as well about the flame retardant in in the uniforms which then ended up being pertinent to the fire service as well so yeah, i'd love to hear that story again because i think that really kind of underlines you know the the reasoning behind rather than just shoving a bunch of nomex in and calling it a fire shirt yeah you know it, it, it was it, you know those were difficult times in, in in the country because you know of course we went to war and and we had you know vietnam era gear so all the companies uh in the space including 511 were you know, kind of innovating around the problem sets that were coming from from the field. So one of the biggest issues that started happening was this improvised explosives started popping up and and people were really uh, dying and and suffering horrible injuries uh, due to flames and and burning. Uh, So I got, I was on a, I think I was on a vacation then in Venezuela and Unfortunately, I had to have a procedure down there, and I, I got a call, like an urgent emergency call from, from fifth group uh, to get over there. And so I got over there as soon as possible, as soon as I could make it. And there were a few of us in the industry, and, and they asked, you know, to, to really uh, find a solution to this problem. So, uh, you know, I immediately went out and had uh, some, just think about like a chef, right? Like, you know a recipe for a fabric 
And I had created like three recipes for three different fabrics, one using uh, pen, which is a carbon-based fiber uh, that literally you can melt a penny on it. Uh, other stuff using Nomex, uh, which is, you know, a popular fabric for turnout gear. Uh, and then the next one was an interesting choice because it was a mod acrylic. And at that time, uh, mod acrylic was only made uh, in Japan. And I think that's the case today, too. We, we actually, there were two plants in the world that made mod acrylic. One was in the U.S. and funny story burned <laughs> so oh the actual so place yeah. burned yeah the actual place burned <laughs> the mode acrylic material that is flame retardant but but you know uh so this went to word test and the mode acrylic uh the best uh, results that that we found were when it, they were blended with cotton that created you know the cotton burned the mode acrylic didn't and it created a char barrier and the pan uh, materials, which, you know, are, you know, today you can find them under brands like Carbon X. Uh, it will be a, a pan material, uh, you know, had an issue. It was, it was always black. Uh, you can't, because it's carbon. And guys, you know, it just was really uncomfortable. Although it was the most flame retardant material, it was really uncomfortable. And Nomex, you know, for a base layer, uh, was not that good. Uh, at the time, I mean, I'm sure they're they're older. And when I say you know, um, you know, a base layer, this was trying to you know, can you create T-shirts and, and and things to wear under the uniform that was already available in case there is an, an incident, uh, you know, the the flames wouldn't continue. And of course, we were exploring you know, how to make uniforms already with with this technology. So so yeah, so at, at the end, the, the technology that out of these trials that that continue and, and I think you know pretty much all the uniforms uh, that are in existence today are, are, are based on some type of mod acrylic cotton and and you can put a little bit of Nomex or you can put an, an another fiber including nylon to make the fabric stronger uh, so that innovation uh, you know came from from the war era uh, and and trying to solve again really fast for for very um, timely needs that were happening in the field. Brilliant. Now, another area I know in in uniforms that is very pertinent is they are often viewed as all humans are the same shape in a ratio. You know, we're a little bit taller, a little bit fatter, but basically it's it's expansive. And there really wasn't a lot of thought put into not only the different shapes of people, but also the different sexes. So, you know, the, the female versus the male. So I know that was a kind of a, another turning point in in the uniform side. So what what led to you creating like a, a complete female range as well? You know, we we had come our background, you know, from Royal Robbins. Uh, Royal Robbins was a, a very uh, strong company on, on outdoor female clothing. Uh, so you know, culturally, we knew that. Uh, a, a female product was not just something smaller and in pink. You know, it, it actually was something that required more engineering because of the curvature uh, of the body uh, and, and 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 different body shapes. So when we started making uniforms and we went out there and again talking to the end users, uh, although you know at the time and even today, you know, most departments would have around ten percent of their of their um, 
uh, field staff was was female, uh, were females, uh, it, 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 their needs were not being addressed, either because the companies didn't know how to make the product or they say, well, it's just, you know, just 10%, uh, just, you know, we're a smaller size, it's not worth the production. So we took and have taken a, a different approach. And, you know, that actually has has paid off for us because today, you know, not only we sell a lot of female uniforms, but also have big fans in our uh, lifestyle clothing for females. And I think it's the same, that same gal that is out there, you know, wearing our uniforms that is saying, hey, I love these pants more than the ones I wear on the weekends. Let me go buy them in, you know, colors that I can use uh, on, on everyday clothing. So that actually uh, has worked well for us. Well, you, you talk about the everyday clothing. I had uh, Byron Rogers on a couple of weeks ago, and he was a Marine now. Or, like, he's always a Marine. I, get, I, I take that back. He is a Marine, <laughs> but um, <laughs> he's also now in executive protection. And so that was a big draw for him. We talked about 5.11 in that conversation too, is he can't look like an operator. He's supposed to kind of blend in and then obviously then react when if and when he's needed with the element of surprise basically on on his side and when i was with you guys in irvine um eric gave me some of the jeans and some of the shorts and this is not a you know a, a solicited endorsement but i swear to god those are the most comfortable jeans and shorts and i wear them constantly to the point where i really need to get some more um and and the, the reason being is very simple like i used to be like gap old navy all the kind of you know regular jeans but I'm a martial artist and a firefighter and all this stuff. So I do have that anticipation of, you know, something happening in, in the world. Actually, yesterday, my friend and I stopped a drunk guy from attacking a group of people. So you never, you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, so the, the genes specifically, they, they give you the mobility and flexibility to be able to do something that you would basically be able to do in jogging pants as well. So again, with that kind of, road um you know walk me through how you took what would be any civilian clothing but you added that kind of functional element to it yeah i know you know i think the gene is a, a really good case study of why 511 being a company rooted on serving public safety and the military is becoming such a global iconic brand and you know let, let this contract that so so we started you know uh, bringing stretch uh, in the early early days of starting 511. I engineered the first, you know, poly wool uh, lycra uniform to my knowledge that existed. And six months later, I realized that I had made a really bad mistake. Uh, you know, we started getting products back, and there were these little hairs in the on the surface, and it was the lycra breaking. Uh, the, the, and Lycra is just a brand for spandex. So, so and Lycra, you know, have other products. So let's call it spandex. So the chemistry of spandex uh, could not withstand the use and abuse of uniforms and the high temperatures of dyeing that we put fabrics through. So we learned a tough lesson. You know, again, uh, the need was there. You know, people wanted more range of motion, and you can gain a lot of range of motion by putting stretch on the material. Unfortunately, the available solutions uh, were, not, were not there. So fast forward 
to around 2010, 11, we were working around the, the problem set and we came up with our strike pants, uh, which uses a technology that is patented called FlexTac, which the yarns themselves have a lot of a stretch and recovery. This is called mechanical stretch, but this comes in many different shapes and form. Uh, the reason that we have a patent is we have a way to create a lot of stretch and recovery. That's the name of the game. Not only the stretch, but the recovery. So with more stretch and recovery, you gain more range of motion. So we we launch uh, the strike pen with this technology. This technology is now available across our uniforms, different areas, and people just loved it. The only bad thing about it is that, you know, Let's say the average tactical pen at that time was costing around $39, $49. This technology is expensive. So it brought you know, your average tactical pen to $69, $74, uh, But when guys and gals will try them on, uh, they will be like, okay, this is worth every penny. So then, you know, fast forward to the jeans. Again, with all the designs, all the ideas here really are, are coming from the end user community. So the more we talked to end users, they were like, hey, is there any way that you can incorporate the same functionality that these tactical pants have uh, and do, a, do them in jeans? Uh, so, because that's what we were when we we're not wearing tactical pants. So we started innovating first around the textile materials, incorporating that type of a stretch into our denim. And we achieved that. Then second, it was, you know, hey, is there a way that we can store uh, magazines in an easy way to retrieve them under a lot of stress? Thankfully, we had already solved that problem because we had created something called the tack light gene back in the day. And we figured a way how to put these pockets right on the yoke on the back. Um, there is a seam, so we will leave the seam open, and it was a very easy place to put magazines, either for AR, AR or pistols, uh, that was in line with people's muscle memory of training. We have tried other places to put the magazines, but under a lot of stress, uh, people could not get to them. So this, this was a sweet spot. So we took the same innovation, put it there. Uh, we put the pens on the field, had to, you know, figure a way how to, um, reinforce them. Like if you open a pair of uh, flex, uh, Defender Flex jeans, you will see the bar tags uh, on the bell loops highly reinforced. You will see extra materials. You will see, you know, if you open the package, you will see on the back of the of the denim package, you will see uh, nylon 6.6 reinforcements. If you go to the coin package, you will see that it's really deep and you can put an extra magazine. Uh, you will see uh, uh, features like a gusset, so all these things were coming from the field, from word testing, you know, just keep improving, improving. So then SHOT Show came and we said, okay, let's introduce these things. Uh, just test them. So we went to SHOT Show and we've been uh, trying to keep those things in the stock since that day because what happens is, and this is where I go back to the beginning of the statement, uh, when people from any walk of life try those pants on, they go like, oh, my God, these are the most comfortable pair of pants that I have ever worn. And then they go like, look, it has a cell phone pocket. You and I know that it's not a cell phone pocket. <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, look, I can put my cell phone. I can put my extra batteries. So uh, I, I am fully confident that, you know, 
uh, there is nobody out there that tries those pants on and doesn't say these are the best pair of jeans I have ever tried on. And, and we're seeing it. And, and I think, you know, that's where I talk about the innovations that are coming from, you know, first responders and the military really having uh, a great fit in, in for the everyday consumer. So now you have you know, not only our hardcore end users, but people from all walks of life that are looking at what, you know, these uh, first responders and military personnel are wearing and saying, yeah, I want some of that too. Why, why do they do they get to be the only ones that have that innovation? Yeah, well, exactly. And then when you look back in the, the uniforms too, you know, when you start looking at all the ergonomics of the movement that we're supposed to do, whether it's a law enforcement foot pursuit or whether it's, you know, we roll up on on some sort of uh, emergency and it's not, uh, you know, what we call IDLH, we're not wearing a bunker gear, but we might have to climb, you know, over barriers on a traffic accident or up a ladder or whatever. And so the even the regular uh, station wear that we wear still has to be workable. And I've I've had, you know, a gamut of of uniforms over my career, the different departments. The last one was from Sintas, which is a uniform rental company that they were just I mean, they were they were no different than the costumes that the theme park people would be wearing. And functionally they were awful, you know. So you literally had to like pull your pant legs up just to climb over something. So I mean that that just understanding that and like you said, going back to the the difference in cost Again, what are you getting for for that money? And and like I sound like some sort of, you know, uh, paid commercial spot, but it's just testimony. I mean, the reason that I I sought you guys out to come to the podcast because I knew that this was you know the excellence that we needed in our professions to make us even better at our jobs. Yeah, you, you know, it's, it's it's interesting that that you say that, and this is a shout out for the whole tactical. Uh, industry, you know, I, I include our competitors in, in this statement. I think, you know, when you see dollar per dollar of anything that comes out of this industry, it delivers a lot more value than stuff that you get from other industry, whether it's the workwear industry, the fashion industry, you know, the type of gear that, that we and our competitors uh, in the industry are doing is it just delivers more value much more value to the to the final consumer yeah exactly well i want to switch to footwear as well so that's been a big thing for me i had a podiatrist on uh dr mike donato sorry my dog's yapping in the background um (laughs) and uh a big thing that i've seen through my career and i know this is shared by law enforcement uh, is the giant clumpy boots that so many of us are told to wear and it has to be you know OSHA compliant you got to be able to drop a piano on it so you don't hurt your pinky and all this stuff when the reality is for us in the fire service we have our you know fire boots which are built ruggedly you have your wildland boots which are built for that job but the 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 station boots the EMS calls whatever it is you're not jumping up and down on rebar you're not in a building you know uh, construction zone you're not in the middle of a fire so I see a lot of foot ill health, knees, backs, ankles, etc., caused by the heavy, clumpy, steel-lined, you know, boots that we've been, we've been told to wear. So when you guys came out with the Norris sneaker, and now you've got the Atlas as well, for me, finding shoes that are lighter, that are more comfortable on the foot, is very, very important as well because that old kind of like almost like Dr. Martin style, you know, shoe or boot that we were raised with 
I think we're starting to see now is, is very, very bad for the human body, especially over a career of 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah, no, they, you know, fortunately, they has, there has been a lot of uh, innovation uh, around materials, around manufacturing techniques, uh, and perhaps the biggest paradigm shift has been on breaking tradition, right? So, so you know, think about, you know, the average person used to think, you know, the longer it breaks to, the longer it takes you to break that boot, the better it is, right? Uh, well, that that's kind of gone. You know, people are looking for out-of-the-box uh, comfort. Uh, they're looking for out-of-the-box protection that is there, but you don't feel, you know, that's why, you, you know, we have had to, uh, evolve, let's say, you know, uh, as an industry, and, and of course, 511 always, you know, trying to push the boundaries. You know, we started replacing. We never did it, uh, steel toes because we were already uh, the technology was available to do composite materials, fiberglass, and, and other things uh, to to be able to create the composites. And now, you know, every year it seems that we're able to make those uh, composite toes lighter and stronger. Uh, with time, so that continues to be an, an innovation um, uh, spin. And then the other area, when you mentioned the Atlas boot, the Atlas boot is is, is just an amazing uh, technology uh, innovation because it really takes into account bringing comfort and bring it to somebody in public safety that carries gear. You know, because the weight of the person really drastically changes. So if you think about it, you know, the average running shoe, which is very comfortable as a runner, uh, I love them. Uh, they are engineered for somebody that maybe weights a buck 50, a buck 70, right? Uh, given that, you know, these, these shoes are, are, are meant for ultra runners, uh, marathoners, um, not for somebody, you know, that weights... Uh, 200 pounds or 250 with gear or, or even 300 with gear on. So, you know, our team really figure a way to to engineer polymers that are copolymers so you can have, you know, the durability of the wear and tear at the bottom, in the middle have the cushion and then have an insert that creates the stiffness and put all these things together and creates a package that delivers uh, what you were talking about, you know, that comfort, stability, durability, and and, and lightweight uh, into one package. So, it, you know, I think uh, very exciting things uh, are already available. You know, the Atlas, like you mentioned, is great. The the Norris for that uh, uh, usication where you need, uh, you know, uh, that, that shoe is uh, nail proof. So nails will not penetrate or sharp objects. But when you look at it, it's just a great-looking casual shoe. It just doesn't look like anything that you would think has any level of protection. So very exciting things going on in that in that area. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with with the, the station wear, I think the Norris shoe, the all-black one, is, is a great option. Like you said, it is puncture-proof. Um, but, you know, we do a lot of climbing in and out, especially if we're in EMS agencies that run the medical calls too. You're constantly up and down inside that that vehicle. You know, you're moving stretches in and out. So you need to have more, in my opinion, more like a sneaker than a than a you know a old school military World War II boot like we were being equipped with, because those just 
are just horrendous for the ankle flexion and, and the kind of mobility that we need. So when, when you guys uh, came out with that and they actually sent me a pair, I thought they were fantastic and I haven't tried the Atlas yet, but anything that's making it lighter, anything that's given the feet space to actually splay out the way they were designed to and, and, and reduce that, uh, that distance between the floor and the foot. So now you're, you're lowering the chance of rolling ankles and, you know, all those things too. So I think the foot, the, what's on our feet is something that we really need to pay attention, attention to when it comes to longevity. Yeah, 100% agree. 100% agree. Right. Well, then you mentioned uh, carrying gear. So that's a good kind of segue to another area I think that's very pertinent, which is, um, you know, all the different kind of bags and backpacks that you have. So I've got the AMP, which has that hex technology. So again, to kind of educate me and the audience on the concept of actually having gear in in smaller bags and how that integrates with larger bags so people can basically rip and go depending on what their deployment is yeah so you know so so if 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 you think about uh these type of bags that that you find from us and others uh in 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 the tactical world uh and and medical world they, they highly depend on the ability to attach and customize your bag uh via molly Right. Uh, there are other, you know, might be some Velcro here and there, but uh, things had highly depend on Molly. And Molly, you know, is a webbing that is attached uh, to the actual bag physically through bar tacking uh, every so often. And then you go and weave the strap that comes with the patch, uh, with the pouch itself into it. And you, you know, it's, it's not very difficult, but it is difficult. And, and, and once you have it set up, you just leave it that way. You, you don't want to be moving stuff around and, and changing things. You also have some challenges because uh, your only way to attach things are, you know, you can put something up or down. Uh, that's the only range that, that you really have. So that has been a problem that we have tried to solve uh, for a long time, including, you know, making pouches with um, plastic molded, Think about something that will rotate. Uh, that was a horrible idea. It was my idea. Completely failed. Uh, when we sent it to, you know, the sandbox and the sand was getting into the, all the cranking mechanism and getting stuck. So, so like, like always, you know, solutions sometimes come into very uh, simple form factors. Our, a group of uh, our team here uh, came up with a hexagon shape uh, and a system where you don't really need to at permanently attach the platform where you attach the pouches to the bag. That that platform could be clip-on, and then it makes it very easy to attach pouches, and it gives you eight different directions to attach the pouches. So that, uh, that was like, wow, this is revolutionary. We designed a vest, the amp vest, to, to have this, this technology, and we designed a series of bags. And as we were working with end users, then it became very clear that this is going to change how people train, carry, and deploy gear. And, you know, for for people that are not in the business and perhaps listening, you know, the, the biggest challenges that an operator has compared to, you know, a person like me is having to get operational under stress really fast. You know, there is no time to think about things. Things have to happen through muscle memory. 
uh, to know where you know things have to be in the same place at the same time. And hopefully you have team members that carry the same gear in the same place at the same time, just in case, you know, something happened. So when we start seeing how these amps enable the operator to do different setups and have those setups available for different missions, then you're not having to carry so many bags and so many vests. You can carry these kits that you can put in your bags and you can take from your bags to your vest. And recently, uh, you know, like in couple of weeks ago, finally, our vehicle-ready line is delivering. So now you can take these hex grids, uh, setups, have them in your car, ready to go, have them in your bag, ready to go, and have them on your vest, uh, medical bags, everywhere. And you can really customize these bags to whatever, not only your mission is, but the range of missions that you tend to partake in. Uh, so we think that this is really going to change the way people carry and deploy gear uh, going forward. Of course, you know, training is now going to have to catch up. Uh, you know, it's like I was at a range and, and I was showing, uh, demonstrating our product to, to a group of people. And and this is, was a, a few years ago and they, they really brought it to my attention that, yeah, while you can uh, now deploy magazines in a horizontal way, uh, they have no trained to deploy magazines in a horizontal way. They they only know how to get them, you know, from a vertical way. Uh, so training is going to have to, you know, catch up to what the gear now is able uh, to do, and that will take a couple of years or yeah. more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and from the fire side, where I saw application and where I've used it, you know, kind of right at the end of my career, as it were, was we have our our gear bags. So one might be a specific gear bag that you take on the engine that has extra tools and, you know, a wildland de- deployment gear. And it might be your, you know, your toiletry bag, you know, for when you go in the station for 24 hours. For me, I carry um, a med kit in my car and I have, you know, a weapon that I carry on occasion as well. So being able to, to have pouches, like you said, attach it to the main bag that might be your the one that goes anywhere, regardless of what the mission is, but then be able to take off and, and add whatever you need for that specific thing. So I've got a few friends that are in California fighting that big wildland fire right now. So they can add extra, you know, clothes and um, masks and whatever they need to be mission specific for that. And then obviously remove it when they come back and start working just from the station again. So I can see the application on the police side. I can see it on the fire side. And then, like you said, from the car, same thing. So I want to go on a journey. I want to have my tourniquets and everything with me in case I come across an accident or something happens to my family. Well, all I got to do is grab that patch from my bag and put it in my car. And I've got that, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think I think you're right. I, I think the ability uh, to do many missions and, and, and like we say around here, you know, always be ready, right? You don't know which particular mission you're going to have to uh, go and, and, and take care of. Uh, you know, in the past, maybe you compromise and you say, okay, maybe I just, this is not great, but it's good because I can address everything. Based on this new gear, really, you can have two, three setups readily available and grab the best for that particular type of uh, threat or situation. Absolutely. All right. Well, then just kind of shifting a little bit, but staying with bags, another area that I know is the bane of existence of a lot of uh, um, fire departments, especially when they have the EMS capability, are the actual ALS bags, whether it's the med bag, airway bag. 
and I've seen some kind of want to shift towards a backpack because the traditional way of holding it, you've normally got one in each hand. Well, now you you can't even grab a stair rail. Murphy's Law, the patient's going to be 10 stories up on a in a building, the elevator doesn't work, or God forbid, some large incident where we've got a long way to walk from the ambulance staging to where the incident is. So the ergonomics of the actual backpacks, I have, like I said, the AMP. I was on a cruise a while ago and did a whole bunch of um, uh, stair climb training and put a bunch of weight in the back and was amazed how well the weight was distributed. So t- talk me about the evolution of, of that, because obviously there's a very direct correlation for military, but even for for PD, whether it's SWAT and then um, fire and EMS, there are many, many times where a, a, a backpack actually has great application for what we do as well. Yeah, no, and, 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 and you know, of course, uh, the, the lines between medics and SWAT, uh, there's a big overlap, right? So a lot of our customers uh, do both. Uh, and it's the same person. Um, and and we have taken, you know, lessons learned from them, not, not us, and incorporating to form factors that allow you to to really, you know, if it's, if you have to work next to your car and it's your vehicle and it's convenient, the bags work, they carry all the gear and, and you can deploy them and, and do everything you need to do like you would do with any other bags. But if, if the situation requires you to, you know, carry that bag uh, far away from, from the car. They're comfortable, they're practical, and a more important back to the uh, ability to uh, access what you need under stress, uh, you know, being at the paramount of, of the training, right? You know, being able to have a bag that you know where everything is and you don't have to think about it, um, it, it is what these bags, you know, allow you to do. Yeah, absolutely. Now, with with the ergonomics, though, from the the weight carriage, because I noticed that I think I had, I want to say forty five on my back when I was doing this the stair climb thing, and it just didn't feel like forty five pounds at all. It did when I picked it up, obviously, it put throw it on my back, and there's even a little extra weight on the backpack because of the frame. But once it was on my back, it it felt like the weight distribution was was I know it was almost intriguing because it just didn't seem to feel like the weight that it was I mean it sounds like a silly thing for me to say but it's true yeah you know that that's 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 part of the whole engineering of the product you know how how do we find points of leverage so the load uh, especially when you're moving right that's that's one of the biggest challenges uh, you know gravity and, and that load moving with you and and against you uh, and having a a pack that has the right uh, level of rigidity, flexibility that, that can help you and assist you in, in, in loading and, and, and manipulating the load. Absolutely. Well, circling back to your early life, because now here you are, you're CEO of 511. Um, I saw when I was researching a picture of you with your children and your father. So what did he think of your journey to you basically staying and then excelling in the textile arena? Wow. That's a, you know, that's a good question. Tough question. You know, he passed out this year. So I'm sorry to hear that. No, no, no. Yeah. No, great question. Uh, You know, I think, you know, he, he was really, from a professional, you know, from a professional to professional, not from a father 
uh, to some. Um, and, and remember, you know, I, I get hands-on, right? So, uh, you know, there many of the products here. It's not like I came up with the idea. It's like I drew them myself uh, and, and crafted them. And, and some others, you know, were created by other people. And, and, and I'm very happy to say that, you know, we have so many talented people here today that are, you know, three to four times more talented uh, than I ever were uh, in the field. But in the early days where when I... You know, it was just a handful of us here, and I had, you know, let's say the design of, you know, most popular pen, uh, the strike pen, which I designed um, during a, a December um, trip. Um, you know, when my father, you know, saw that and, and saw the uniqueness of the construction, how the, the lines flew, how it was constructed. You know, I remember him looking at the pan and looking, looking at me and saying, wow, this is really good stuff. You know, just just kind of, um, you know, you could you could tell that that he was really impressed with with the level that I had been able to take the family craft. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for the craft. And I, I think, you know, making products and in particular clothing. Uh, you know, is something that that can be uh, very um, energizing for people that that enjoy, and and even more if you have a sense of serving. You know, so kind of like a chef, right? So when I see people wearing something and enjoying something, or making a difference in the life of somebody that is wearing this gear and they enjoy it, it it's just a a satisfaction that is very difficult to describe <laughs> but it's uh, amazing yeah well i'm sure he was extremely proud yeah 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 he he he, he was very, very 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 much so and, and like i say you know he had no expectations that i that i would follow uh the family craft in a sense so so i think that also um was fulfilling for him yeah. Well, well speaking again of, of the innovation of, of thinking outside the box, um, I'm used to, you know, uniform companies when you go work for a department, they send you to a certain store. It's got all the different brands in there. You try on this and, and historically it seems no matter where I've worked, you still wait months and months and months to get to get the uniform that you were fitted for. Um, you guys have done the kind of like the reverse. So you, you, you know, had a very strong online presence and now you're, you're putting stores all over the country. You've got one in Tampa actually here, which I need to visit. Um, the one in Irvine, obviously that I saw. Um, so tell me about the business model. Like, um, you know, what is, what is the goal with that? Are you hoping to be a kind of one-stop shop for the responders and, and, um, tactical personnel in, in each of these cities? Yeah. You know, we, we're still in that journey, right? So, so the way that we look at it, and there's a lot of room to innovate. I mean, I think what what our customers expect and deserve, we as Fab Eleven still fall short, and the industry falls short too. Uh, so we, we look at it, you know. So think about like a trade area, and we're deploying all the resources needed to really be able to service that customer, and, and we're working literally. Uh, diligently uh, to to get better and better at it, and that takes a, a team effort. And that team is our own stores, online, our customer stores, uh, our dealers, um, uh, physical presence and online presence, 
um, and and even you know the the administrators in the department so that we can communicate along the supply chain uh, our our large infrastructure uh, of operations all there you know to try to to you know be able to react and have those products available especially you know uh, you know, when when it comes to uniforms for, for first responders and the military, you, you cannot afford not to have uh, the product. And, of course, it happens where we will run out of product or it will take too long. And that's the gap that we're working to close. Now, how has, um, total side note, how has uh, the last few months been for you guys with uh, with this isolation that we're going through? You know, when when the uh, when the crisis started, be, being a global company, we had already been dealing with it. So when it came to the U.S., uh, we were not at zero, meaning you know we had already for a few months been dealing with the crisis. And, and when it came here, not that we really knew exactly what to do, but we were perhaps better prepared than other companies that that you know maybe took them by surprise. So. So immediately, you know, we started getting phone calls from uh, departments where traditionally uh, they had been using dry clean only type of uniforms. And of course, the SOP immediately changed. You you were supposed to, you know, when you went out there, uh, whether you were a fire department or, or, or a police department and came home, you were supposed to wash those uniforms. Well, that that created a problem because if you had a dry clean only uniform, you couldn't do that. So we were in a rush uh, deploying these uh, uniforms, which we have always proud ourselves of engineering what we call wash and wear. So wash and wear is not that, that you can wash it. Uh, wash and wear means that you wash it, you dry it in the dryer, and it should come out pretty much ready for you to wear. Uh, if it needs any pressing, it should be very little pressing. So we found ourselves you know, in the middle of the crisis uh, trying to supply departments all over the world with this wash and wear, you know, TDUs, PDUs, uh, tactical products. And in order to be able to do that and keep our people safe, what we did is we shut down the stores for the general public. And and if, if the general public, you know, needed products, uh, they could go to our website. Uh, but we just focus on serving uh, public safety out of our 68 uh, locations in the U.S., and, and globally, you know, we we did the same. Uh, while we only have most of our stores are here, overseas we did the same as far as just focusing on, on the main uh, public safety business. Now that things, you know, have opened up, the stores are open uh, to the general public. Uh, it, and, and you can, you know, go there uh, as long as you, you know, still following, you know, safety precautions and best practices with social distance, face covering, deep cleaning, and, and all these type of things. Brilliant. All right. Well, I want to transition to some closing questions um, that I love to ask people. The first one is, is there a book that you love to recommend? It can be something to do with what we've discussed today or completely different. Wow. That That is a, that is a tough question on, on top of on top of my mind, you know, I mean, there is, there is one book that I, you know, during difficult times and, and especially in the last few months, I, I kept going at it and I think most people know it and it's the Bible. Uh, so, you know, might be a good time during these times to dust it out. 
Absolutely. That's, that's obviously mentioned a lot. Um, same question, though, a movie or documentary? Well, um, I think, you know, the, uh, the, the Spy on Netflix is such a great movie. Uh, it's, uh, that's one that I, that I watched recently a few, months, a few months back. I will highly recommend it. The Spy? The Spy. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. Um, so I've obviously had quite a few people from, uh, I wouldn't say from 5.11 that, that are your, you know, tactical experts, whether it's Tim Kennedy, Byron Rogers. Um, is there anyone else that you could recommend to come on this podcast to speak to the first responder and tactical population? Oh my God, they, they are, they are so many people, uh, you know, we can, it's just so many amazing people. I mean, we, we are so fortunate. Uh, I can share some. So names, because um, a lot of these 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 people, they also like to live a behind the scene life. <laughs> so I would love to check with them before you know I share their name. But there, there's a lot of amazing people that that just you know do uh, amazing things for this country or their countries. Uh, not only here in the U.S. You know we have uh, a lot of uh, operators in in our ecosystem from from many different countries, amazing people here and other countries that, that really uh, do amazing things for their countries and their communities. Excellent. Well, on that side, now, do you have stores outside of the U.S., actual brick-and-mortar stores? Yeah, we have uh, one in Australia and we have one in Germany that are company-owned. And then we have dealers that have uh, 511 stores in countries like Mexico, uh and in the Philippines and other countries uh, throughout the world. Brilliant. All right. But then the last question before we make sure people can find you and obviously 511, uh, what do you do to decompress? You know, I, I think uh, trail running is, is my best tool. That, that, does, that does the job. Something about, you know, the softness, the softness of the ground, uh, the openness, and, and the challenge of, uh, you know, taking down big hills, uh, I find it uh, very uh, invigorating. Um, unfortunately, you know, I, th- I think the, the, the best, you know, the best kept secret in running uh, that doesn't get disclosed is that it doesn't matter how much you train, the first mile always sucks. <laughs> and, most pe- and most people don't, don't get there. So uh, for those people that are listening and, and they don't run, uh, you know, try it. Just uh, go slow. And if you think you're going slow, go a little bit slower. Pass the first mile and keep going. Uh, get there little by little, of course. And, and then once you're ready, just pass it. And, and it will be a very rewarding uh, experience and relationship uh, going forward. Fantastic. And so was was finding running one of the keys for you losing the weight you mentioned you put on when you were younger? Yeah, that that, that was. I had never been a runner until uh, around six years ago, seven years ago, when a friend dared me. Uh, we were talking about paradigm shift, and the conversation was around that you can do whatever you want as long as you put it in your head. And she started laughing. I said, so she's a big runner. She said, hey, so if you decided to become a runner – uh, you can just become a runner. I said, yeah, if I put in my head, I, I, I will shift the paradigm that I'm not a runner into that I'm a runner, and I will start running. So she started laughing, and, and I said, okay, I'll start tomorrow. 
Um, so nowadays I run ultra marathons. So that shows you that whatever you put in your head, uh, your body will follow. Absolutely. That's a great story. Um, okay. So I want to make sure that people know where to find you. Just, I would, I would say the discount code that we have, but it might change depending on episodes when people go back and listen to this. But for people listening at the beginning of this and then the, all the other sponsored spots, there's a discount code from 511. So make sure if you do go online that you use that as well. Um, so where can people find you, Francisco? And then where can they find 511 online? Uh, you know, of course, uh, 511 is uh, 511tactical.com. Uh, uh, you know, I'm here always available uh, at 511. As far as social media, you know, I, I live behind the scene in life. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really uh, go on social media besides, you know, to look at 511 stuff. <laughs> so I don't, I don't publish any content or, you know, I'm the worst at it. Uh, so you, you wouldn't see me out there uh, posting uh, stuff, but uh, always, you know, can find me here at 511. Brilliant. All right. Well, I want to say thank you so much. Like I said, just to underline this conversation, I'd use you guys for a long time. Um, then I start seeing people that I respect hugely aligned with your, you know, your products, whether it's Tim Kennedy, Clint Emerson, Byron Rogers. Um, and uh, then obviously, when we started having this relationship, and I learned even more about the history and the relationship with first responder community and the tactical community. Um, I was just, you know, so, so overwhelmed or happy to, to finally have this partnership. But I really wanted to learn myself the real stories behind a lot of these, you know, the company and the products and also educate people listening because it is a minefield out there and there are some incredible companies and there's some not incredible companies and there's some things that seem like good value on the face and there's some things that you realize are actually a much better investment um so i just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to educate us all and and tell your story and especially you know about losing your father i'm sorry that, that that happened but uh you know thank you for even being you know courageous and, and telling that story too yeah uh, you know thank you and and you know, we'd love to take the opportunity on behalf of all of us here at 511 and really to thank our, our first responders and, and military, uh, especially, you know, during these difficult times. Uh, I mean, our, our people out there have done just a tremendous job, uh, you know, working through this crisis. It doesn't look like it's going to get any easier. So, you know, stay strong out there. Uh, both physically and even more important, uh, mentally. And thank you uh, from all of us uh, at 511. We are very honored uh, to serve you. Uh, it, it is our, our life purpose, and, and we are honored to and blessed to be in this position. 